0: The depth of the the culture of this area of, uh, of we're very personal and very private people that we don't open up and share a lot of things. And, and the more personal and private a subject is, the less that people who have filled the pulpit have felt allowed, I will say, through the Holy Spirit to speak on these things, because everything that we've talked about in the Untouchable series is very personal. And I hope that if you get nothing else out of this series, you understand, walking away from it, that God is very personal. That Jesus is very personal. He cares about you as a person. And he cares about every area of your life. Even the ones you think that nobody knows about. Jesus especially cares about those. And... And hopefully as we go forward, we'll begin, we'll be that point in the generations of our family that open up these discussions and help our children be equipped to battle for their purity in a world that's rampantly trying to destroy it. Most churches, and I mean most churches, will avoid this subject at all costs. And the ones that do, a lot of other churches jump on the bandwagon and criticize them because you just don't talk about sex and sexual sin. You just don't. Okay, I got it out of my mouth. We're, we're going to roll now. Okay. <clears throat> I, I feel bad now as a parent for my parents for conversations we had to have when I was younger. And I'll, I'll get into some of that, and please don't go making fun of my mom and dad. Uh, they they did the best they could in an era that it just wasn't something you talked about very much. And it was one of those things. Now, you know, I'm looking towards the moments I have that conversation in the near future with my son, and I think, you know, dad's method wasn't completely awful. But uh, – the, the method my dad used, he was an EMT for years and he had lots of medical books on our shelf. And he took me to an EMT manual and talked me through the biology of things. And that was the talk. And it was like, okay, dad, I know how it works now. <laughs> and, and if I'd been raised on a farm, I would already know how it works. You know, I wasn't raised on a farm. And the first time I saw it, the next time on the farm, it was like, oh, that's what's happening. And, and bless my heart back then. And, and I'm going to say that about myself a lot as we go through. I'm not going to unpack my whole story for you, but if you're struggling in this area and, and you reach out and you want to talk, I, I'll unpack my whole life for you. I, I have no issue with that at all because who I was then is under the blood of Jesus. And I get to look back at that guy and I say bless his heart because he didn't know because nobody taught him. And I'm not saying that's my get out of jail free card because I made my own choices. But at the same time, I didn't know what I didn't know. And we'll get into some of that today. But we don't talk about sex and sexual sin because hey, it's very uncomfortable. It's very personal. We already mentioned that. There's a lot of shame associated with, and if we can be real this morning, even with just talking about a good, healthy sexual relationship inside a covenant of marriage, there's still a level of shame that gets attached to it because of how we were raised to never talk about those things. And that's me being real. You know, this is something that, I never heard spoke on in church. You know, D.C. Talk was the first time I heard a Christian anywhere say the word sex. I was 14 years old. Way too late in life anyways. Uh, uh, there, there's always a chance you're going to offend somebody because we don't talk about that. Well, we don't talk about Bruno, but it still comes up. That's for my Disney fans in the room that are all back there. That one's probably a wash. You know, wait, no, we got elementary teachers. We're good. (laughs) Uh, What the Bible says about it is often so misunderstood and mistaught that that this morning for some of you is going to be an eye-opener. As long as we don't get to the point where, oh, we just shut down because, man, you can't talk about this. We're talking about it, so... Unbuckle, unclench, and let's go. It feels judgmental. Okay? Especially when you talk about the realm of sexual sin. It feels very judgmental. But but I want you to understand by the standard that Jesus set out there, there's very few people that walk the face of the earth that are not guilty of or have been guilty of sexual sin. Okay, that we'll get to that standard here in a little bit, and you'll be like, oh my or oh me or maybe you know since you've worked that under the blood of Jesus it becomes an amen but the reason we kicked most of the kids out and and understand if I'm getting to that age where anyone under like 25 is still a kid to me that's weird Scott is that weird I'm getting old enough that you know kids like 25 and under is a kid you know you're just a kid but, you know, we kick some of the kids out of the room because the Song of Solomon and the Song of Songs, however you want to hear it called, in chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires or until the right time. And the, the last thing that we want to be guilty of as we're teaching and instructing is to awaken thoughts and imaginations in young people before it's time. Now, that's not the way the world operates at all. I'll tell you that the pornography industry, and, and they're very pointed in the methods that they use, and they've actually got influence in arenas outside of their own, uh, some of Disney's cartoons that have come out in the last few years, uh, the professional wrestling, WWE, they specifically target 11-year-old boys. And they're working on a marketing scheme to hit them as low as eight. So if you think that you can put this off a long, long time with your children, parents, do not make that mistake. The world is aggressively trying to put its stamp and imprint of of what sex is into the eyes of your children at a young age. God's design, part one. And I thought about really making this more interactive this morning to help my discomfort, uh, making you read the slide out loud with me. Part number one, sex is good. Okay? And, and there's people that are like, that's God's design? Yes, it is. Matter of fact, it, it's, it, it's something that if I'm being real and telling on myself, because I learned the biology first and never got the spiritual connotation of it until much, much later, and it was poorly taught to me, I, I was taught that, that sex was only for the purpose of making children, was the spiritual idea I got. So, in my mind, my parents did that three times. <laughs> for a long time, that's what I believed. We can all giggle and laugh, but... When you're taught something wrong, you believe it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 the Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone, but I will make a helper suitable for him. And if you go back into the translation there in the ancient Hebrew, it says, A perfect fit for him is what's implied. Now, if if you can't look at your spouse and say, man, you know, you really are a perfect fit for me. And, and I'm not trying to be crude in that. I'm saying everything about them fits you. Their sense of humor. Their laugh. Their smile. The cute face they make when you annoy them. My bride's not in here, so I don't get to embarrass her at all. It's okay. She'll go back and watch this like I watched her last week, and she'll pick up on all my oopsies and... And she'll make fun of me all week. It'll be okay. Because we're a perfect fit for each other. We pick on each other. We fight with each other. We fight for each other. And, And that's God's design. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That is the design that the two would become one flesh. And, and nowhere in that is it talking about making children. So I, the, and we'll talk about it here in a second, but what a beautiful design that God made us to, to blend with each other, not only physically, but emotionally and, and relationally to the point where people cannot see you without seeing your spouse. I'll be real, it's weird for me to run into Scott and Stephanie's not there. You know, you go in the bank and you see Jeff, it's still weird that Miranda's not there. I run into Jason sometimes in Buffalo, and and immediately my thoughts go to, hey, I wonder what Kelly's doing too, Because, because they're the same person to me. And I think the same thing when I run into Kelly occasionally, like at the grocery store or something, and I wonder, man, I wonder what Jason's doing, which I know what Jason's doing. He's out trying to keep people from killing the wrong thing, (laughs) (laughs) trying trying to wrangle in all these rednecks with guns. I mean, I I pray for him more than he knows because, you know, I, I get out there and hunt some too, and I'm one of those dumb rednecks with a gun. I'm safe with a gun, but man, if it flies, it dies. And, and when the sun is setting and it's in your eyes, sometimes that dove was really a dove until you hit it. More, I'm not as dumb as the guys that killed the whole covey of meadowlark lark and thought they were yellow-breasted quail. But that's a story for another day. Uh, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, May your fountain be blessed And may you rejoice with the wife of your youth a loving doe a graceful deer may her breast satisfy you always may you ever be intoxicated with her love I'm telling you Solomon had a way with words you know the the love of my wife just her love in general not, not being sexual at all here is intoxicating okay it really is what a, what a perfect description of the, the covenant of marriage and, and the bond that God built us into. In Hebrews 13, 4, the writer of Hebrews says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral and I know it feels like we're going to transition at that point to talking about sexual sin, but no, that's going to come later because we need to finish nailing down the truth here. That sex was not designed as the ultimate experience or as the ultimate expression of love. That, that is something that has been ingrained into the culture that sex is the pinnacle of a love relationship. and That's not it at all. The ultimate expression of love was Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. He wasn't guilty of anything, yet he took on everything. That's the ultimate expression of love. It is never going to be something physically two people do. But sex was designed to bond a man and a woman. And it talks about in Scripture that that men should not join themselves, and that's the word used in the Greek, should not join themselves to a prostitute. Because the, there's a bond that was designed by God through sex that was meant to be observed in a covenant relationship that draws people closer and closer to each other. We've got to understand that in the design, sex was a gift from God to mankind it wasn't just for making children it was for an intimacy if you read the King James every time it talks about a man and a woman being intimate for the sake of of making a child it says that the husband knew his wife which is a really cool way to phrase that Uh, but at the same time if you don't know your wife you're not going to get there very often the the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Wait wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Can we be real a minute? I'm trying to figure out how this was an issue. I mean, I'm a man. I'm a man, and I'm being real that that's not something the Bible had to command me to do for my wife. But when you look at it from the culture of the day, in Corinth, men would leave their home to find that satisfaction somewhere else. And in that day in Corinth, the woman had no rights over her own body. If the husband said it's time to do this, then they were gonna do that. And here Paul is saying that's not the way God designed it. God designed it where it's equal opportunity Either member of that party can initiate. So, wives, don't ever feel guilty about initiating that moment. And I'm just telling you, our society tacks a little bit of shame onto a woman desiring that from her husband. It's out there in our culture. It's either celebrated that they're overly zealous about it, or they're shamed for wanting that relationship. But the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. The gift of sex is that we learn to give to each other. We learn to give to each other, not take from each other. And it draws you closer and closer together. He goes on, he says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time that you may so devote yourselves to prayer. That's the only acceptable excuse to say no, according to the Bible. That's not fun to preach about, I'm just telling you. (laughs) That's not fun to preach about. But according to the Word of God, there's a reason for that. And we get to it. You devote yourselves to prayer so that then you can come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now this this is where we start stepping on toes and believe me, my toes will hurt with you. How many of you, if you're honest... And I'm not just saying in this area of your life, but if you're honest, you have a measure of self-control that is extremely lacking in your life. I do. I tell you what, if I drink one Dr. Pepper today, I'm going to drink five. I'm not saying Dr. Pepper is anywhere near as good as, you know, fulfillment in a covenant marriage, but... There's self-control issues in my life. If I sit down to watch football, I may not do anything for the next four hours. I may not hear anybody. I may not see anything. Our kids could have burnt the living room down around me during the game yesterday because I was really into it. And there's people that say, ah, no, that doesn't happen. Yeah, okay. Ladies in the room, how many times have you come to ask your husband a question while the game's on? And you get the response, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, well... Or no response at all, because they don't even hear you. Ladies, if you really want to go buy something, I'll tell you the time to ask. In case you haven't figured out that formula. Sorry guys, I threw us all under the bus together. But when it comes to that physical intimacy, and and even not just the physical intimacy, but our our thought life and our, our, our desires... The, the longer that we're separated physically from our spouse, the more difficult self-control becomes. And that's a reality. And it was a reality in, in early BC Corinth, and it's really a reality in 2022 America, where you can, you can view sexually explicit content on your phone with two clicks of the button. Sex in the Bible is first and foremost about an intimate friendship. It's about cleaving to your God-given other. It's about becoming one flesh. The Hebrew term implies more than, but not less than, physical union. It means almost becoming one person. Sex is about pursuing physical, emotional, sexual, and deeply rooted union. It is about submission, exploration, discovery, and delight. That's what it's about. It's not just for the sake of making children. That's a beautiful byproduct. If you go back to what God tells Adam, God, you know, and, and people struggle with this because God's talking to some people in Genesis 1 who are not Adam and Eve. where it's be fruitful and multiply and go exercise dominion over all the earth. That's not Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve come in chapter two and it's a beautiful thing. We don't have time to get into because Adam and Eve, God put his own hands on and formed them. The people in chapter one, God spoke them into existence, but that's a freebie. Take your own time. Go look in the Hebrew. It's really beautiful stuff, but God took Adam and Eve and set up the design for marriage and and the the two becoming one flesh, the physical intimacy was not originally about children. Praise God. I mean, we're not getting a lot of hallelujahs this morning, but I think some people are shouting them inside. (laughs) When this is done right under... The blessing of the covenant of marriage, it does result in children oftentimes, but wasn't ultimately designed for that. It is for the glory of God and for the comfort of mankind. Okay, that is a very subtle yet significant distinction. Because I know several wonderful, strong, bonded married people who physically can't have children. And there's a part of them that, that because the, no one teaches this, they don't understand that, that maybe that's not the plan of God for your life. Maybe God's plan for you was specifically adoption and to build your family through someone else's genetics. And that's a beautiful thing because according to the Word of God, I'm adopted into God's family. And I don't ever want to lose sight of that. Now the part that is really a struggle, sexual sin. And we're going to simplify it a whole lot right now because we could chase a lot of rabbits, a lot of different directions. But anything sexual outside of the covenant of marriage is sin. Anything. And I mean, we live in a day and age where there's some absolutely weird stuff out there. Absolutely weird stuff. And and, and I, I want you to understand that the, the reason I brought up so that you would understand how young the enemy will target your children. Back in 1992 was the first time I personally was exposed to pornography. And we're not talking soft core gentle pornography. I'm talking a hardcore pornography video. A buddy of mine and I walked in. His dad was watching it. And we were behind his dad probably four or five minutes before he realized we were there. And then he was like, hey, knock it off. Get out of here. Go to your own room. And instead of going to my buddy's own room, we went to his older brother's room where he proceeded to show me, hey, it's not just movies. They got magazines about this stuff too. And, And thus, that was day one in the war for my mind against pornography and lust. 1992. I'm not gonna stand up here and say that I don't have to fight for my purity today because I do. I'm a red-blooded American man. And and God made women perfectly. Okay, if you want something else, write it on your mirror, ladies, that God made you perfect. And, and as a man, I have to battle that. And I'm not alone. And the, the struggle for a, a lot of men today is they feel like they're alone and they're trapped and that nobody else has been there. That, that everybody that gets up to share the gospel, their life is clean and pretty and perfect. And that's not it at all. By the grace of God, I don't fall into that trap over and over and over like I did when I was young. By the grace of God, I walk in freedom. But I have to choose to stay on that walk. And it's not just men that fall into that trap. The the pornography industry releases its own statistics and 40% of habitual users of pornography are female or identify as female. Now, we won't get into that bridge. But, But that's a shocking percentage to me because I really thought we as the guys just had the market cornered on that part of sin. That's not, not the truth at all. And, and that's not the only sexual sin, but that is, that is the one that it should be most heavily talked about because it, it wasn't just that set of movies and that magazine. It, it, it awakened something in my sinful nature to seek it out in other arenas. And I'm telling you, the, there, there's a, a great resource out there. It's called Every Young Man's Battle. And they've made another version of Every Young Woman's Battle. And, and as I read through that as an adult, I thought, man, where was this? Where, where was this? And where was someone in my life to speak this to me at age 12 or age 13 before I really started walking down some paths I shouldn't have gone? Before I started giving away things I couldn't get back. There was hurt. And there's still some hurt there. But but praise God, Jesus died on the cross for that. And I don't carry the weight of that sin. And I don't have to carry the shame and the regret of it. That's why I can talk about it. To shine the light of the truth of Jesus Christ onto the path of a, another generation or even men my age and older that are caught in that struggle. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And I struggled for years to figure out how that worked because it, in my mind it made it a ranked sin. And, and that's not at all what this is. God sees sin on an even plane. Sexual sin, it goes against your own body because your body was built and, and it was built and designed in a way that sex would cause things to happen in your brain that no other activity in the world does. So what happens when those activities are tied to something outside of a covenant relationship? And my brain is hardwired to seek that pleasure in a sinful way. It's like a scar in my brain. Now, when I grew up in the 90s, you know what this verse was about? My 90s babies, come with me here. 90s teenagers. This verse was all about AIDS. It was all about AIDS. AIDS and STDs. Because in the 90s, the other part of my sex education said two things. If you have sex, as a couple, you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get an STD. And that was guaranteed. 100% of the time is how we were taught. Not good science there either. But the the bonding that takes place with an object or something that's not real in the case of pornography or the bonding that takes place in a relationship outside of marriage. Can you see how it wrecks you? Because the original design was never intended for that connection. And it's like you left a part of yourself in all those places. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What sets you apart is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Whew. That's tough. I'm glad that Paul later writes to to some people that You know, maybe in your case it's just better that you marry than you burn. And what he means there is burn with passion, not be set on fire. But Jesus really hammers this home. He says, you have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus always brings it back to the condition of your heart. And I want you to just be fair that that that's not just speaking to men. I'm telling you that I'll step on some toes. There's a lot of women who post a lot of funny things on Facebook about these good-looking dudes in the show Yellowstone. And I look at those dudes, and I'm like, ain't that good. Ain't that good. I've seen better-looking cowboys than them. Ain't none of them sing like George Strait. But anyway, no, that's where I to hold them. But if you think that women are exempt from that, you're out your daggum mind. Because let's be real, we're human. And if, if we don't rein ourselves in through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's easy to be drawn into that world because the only person who knows you're there is you. And God. The the reason that Jesus talked about the the condition of your heart and the condition of your mind was so that you would really fully set your heart on loving your spouse. And that brought me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The This morning, as I as I wrap this up and I bring it to a close, I want you to, in your mind, go back to when Jesus fed the 5,000. When he fed the 5,000, if you take yourself back there, you can see him doing this. He took the fish and the loaves, he lifted them up and he blessed them and he broke them and he scattered them out among the crowd feeding the people. Okay, I want you to understand at every point in your life where you have been in that struggle and it's going to be hard not to get emotional because I was that guy that I left parts of myself scattered out in places they were never meant to go. But that's not where the story ended. The story ended by Jesus gathering up the fragments and bringing them back. I want you to see that this morning that no matter where you find yourself in this, and maybe it's an old struggle to you that you have victory over, praise God. Maybe for for someone online, maybe somebody in the room, this is a struggle you're in today, that there is victory in Jesus. There is restoration. He's the God who paints beauty with ashes. And as an artist, that speaks to me on a level you'll never know unless you've seen just a pile of worthless and all of a sudden it turns into something beautiful. I got to watch that this week when I tried watercolor for the first time. I have never watercolored other than kindergarten, let's just play with the watercolors. And I tried to paint a scene of uh, beside a pond in the fall with the trees just dead and birds flying overhead and it looked like a massive blob of garbage on my paper and I walked away angry and the spirit of God spoke to me and he said in the ugly in the garbage of your life if you'll surrender it to me I'll paint beauty with ashes and I came back the next morning when it had dried it wasn't quite Bob Ross but it was close and I still, I'm going to hang and frame that baby. And it's going to be a miracle that speaks to me every time I come in my art classroom that God paints beauty from ashes. So this morning, if that's you, if, if you've blown it in the area of sexual purity, if you've blown it in impurity in your marriage relationship, Come to Jesus. The the foot's level at the the base of the cross. The ground is level. This is not bigger than any other sin. And Jesus died on the cross for it. Come and, and say to Him, God, I'm sorry. I blew it. I messed up your design, your plan. But I believe you can forgive me. You can heal me. You can restore me. And through the power of your Spirit, I can walk as a new creation, being transformed every day by renewing my mind, taking back what I gave away. If that's you and you're joining us online, just drop a note in the comments and I'll reach out to you personally. I personally walk alongside several men right now that are in this battle. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm asking you as a church to pray for me that I would speak God's wisdom into their life. That I would speak life to them. Because I'm a beggar just showing other beggars where to find the bread. And it's by the grace of God I walk in victory. Heavenly Father, thank you for today.